Hey everybody, we are here in New Hope Radio and the Hope Club Podcast. Thank you for joining me on either one of those. And um, hey, we're in a series, we just began it very recently. It's entitled, It's Time to Get Real with God. And why is it, <laughs> why, why is it time to get real with God right now? I get a few reasons. I believe that we're in the end times of biblical history. Not the very end, but on the fringe. I believe that people in the world, many of them, are in need of a savior. I believe we don't know how many days we have left, personally, on this earth. Every one of us have a limited number of days, and we don't know what that number is, do we? So, what better time than right now to get real with God? Last time we were together, we saw what I think is a very important principle. There's no prize for second place. That's what we ended with. There's no prize the second place. So that means when we run, we want to run to win. And we ended with these thoughts. Get into the lives of other people. Live for the gospel. Run to win. Oh, how about this one? Exercise self-control. Oh, that's part of athletics, right? Any aspect of life where you want to succeed requires Self-control. It really does. Another thought we had last time was live with certainty. Okay? Live with certainty. And then discipline your heart and discipline your body. Our whole being, if you're going to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we need discipline in all of those areas. Paul said in Philippians 2.16, holding fast the word of life. Why? So that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Paul says, man, I'm I'm hanging on. Why? Because I don't want my life to be, when it's all said and done, empty, of no effect. Okay, so we'll get a new topic today, and I want to give you an illustration to set it up, Okay. True story, I'll let you decide. A farmer had a beautiful parrot. But the parrot got bored and tired of staying in his cage all day. He'd often look out the window and see the flocks of birds soaring through the air. He thought, oh, I'd like to be able to do that one day. Very soon the opportunity came. The cage was left unsecured, and he made his move and he flew out the window. He joined a flock of crows, and the crows settled down in the farmer's cornfield, and they began to eat the corn. Well, when the farmer heard the ruckus, he ran out with his shotgun, fired a shot as the crows flew away. He went out to inspect his kill, and there lay his parrot, badly wounded. He said to the parrot, What happened to you? And the parrot replied, Bad company, bad company. 
Okay, another way to get real with God is in the crowd we choose to run with. Today we're going to look at the principle of bad company. Not the band, but the people. Okay? So, here's what we want to learn today. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 13, 15, 13. I think, I think Michael Jackson, when he was a little kid, got it wrong. He's saying one bad apple doesn't spoil the whole bunch, girl. You know what? I think it does. Because that bad apple will affect another apple. And that one will affect another apple. And every apple that the bad apple touches becomes a bad apple. And before you know it, the whole bunch, they're all bad. Why? Because bad company corrupts good morals. So we're going to pick it up today and see how this works. In Numbers chapter 16, we always try to bring a Bible illustration to what we're saying. We have a very sad and a very real account of our principle today. You know, the saying is true. Birds of a feather flock together. And if you want to fly with the eagles, you can't run with the turkeys. Okay, <laughs> that's that's the deep truth that we're going to bring forth today. All right, so here's the background. Moses had been a faithful leader of the people following the exodus from Egypt. And as usual, there were some grumblers along the way. Let me ask you, are there any grumblers in our audience right now? Raise your hand if you're a grumbler. You know, I grumble about something. I gotta grumble about the dishes. I gotta grumble about the traffic. I gotta grumble. I got nothing to wear. I gotta grumble about, uh, on and on it goes. Well, maybe we'll help you today. Verse one. Now, Cora, which is a man's name, not a woman's name. Okay. Starts with a K. Cora, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. Okay. So we got a little family tree going on here. This guy Korah with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben. You know what they did? They took action. Oh, they took action. Well, what was that action that they took? Well, Korah was a Levite who assisted in the daily functions of the tabernacle. Now, verse 2 says, okay, here's the action that they took. They rose up before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel. Oh, 250 leaders of the congregation. Wow. So we got 252 guys. They're all coming against Moses. And they were these were the chosen men of renown. In other words, these were very influential people. Okay. In verse 3, they assembled together against Moses and Aaron. And they said to them, You've gone far enough. For all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? In other words, what they're saying is, Who died and made you boss? (laughs) That's what they're saying to Moses and Aaron. So, Korah and the others had a threefold complaint. Number one, they said, hey, everybody is holy, not just you, Moses. Number two, they complained that 
Moses usurped authority to be the leader of the Israelites. And then number three, that Aaron, he shouldn't have been made priest. Who made him a priest? All right? So these people are nothing but complainers. Now, Moses would have agreed that all God's people are holy, but God does choose his leaders, right? Everybody's holy, but God picks who will lead. So here's what Moses did. He fell on his face before God. That's always a good thing to do. Go to God. When there's opposition in your life, go to God. He fell on his face before God, and then he told Korah that the next morning, God would decide who should lead the Israelites. See, God gave Moses instructions. That's why you go to God, and you don't go to your own flesh. Because your flesh will give you instructions, and it ain't going to work out right. But he went to God. And God said, I will determine who will lead the Israelites. He then reminds them that they should be honored to serve in the position that God had given them. In verse 8, Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to him, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord? and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, Moses is saying, man, you guys have a very high position compared to everybody else. You're the priests of Israel. You get to serve God more personally than everybody else. In verse 10, that he's brought you near, Korah, and all your brothers and your sons of Levi with you. And are you seeking for the priesthood also? So the point here is, and here's a good lesson for us, be satisfied with where God has you. Because God put you there. And God will move you when it's time. I I once did a message about Joseph. Bloom where you are planted. And Joseph found himself in the dungeon, remember? But he didn't kick and complain. He bloomed in the dungeon and he was exalted. To what? Prime Minister of Egypt. So, same thing here. Be satisfied with where God has you. Okay? So, verse 11. Moses said, Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. Oh, you're not gathered against me. Because God is the one that put me here, and God is the one that put you there. So, you're really complaining against him. He said, But as for Aaron... Who is he that you grumble against him? So why are you coming after Aaron? What's he done to you? God's the one that made him the priest. Not Aaron. Aaron didn't decide, oh, I think I'll run for the priesthood. God chose him. So in verse 12, Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. And you know what they said? We will not come up. Nope, we're not coming up. Oh, I read that and I go, danger, danger. We will not. God says, this is what you should do. And you say, we will not. That's danger. Putting yourself in a really bad place. Because what God says is always the right thing. And they're like, no, we will not. Now, here comes the conspiracy. See, in a conspiracy, no one thinks for themselves. 
What is a conspiracy? It's, it means to plan and act on secretly for an unlawful purpose. Plan and act on something secretly for an unlawful purpose. That's what these people were going to do to Moses. So here's the admonition to anybody that's involved in something like that. Sometimes you have to step out and think for yourself. Think for yourself. Okay. So verse 13, is it not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flow? This is what their complaint is. Isn't it enough? You you brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness? Wait a minute. Egypt wasn't a land of milk and honey for the Israelites. It was for the Egyptians, not for them. They were slaves. They were hungry. They were, they were in a really bad place. And he said, oh, no, nah, we were in a good place. That's what liars do. You'd have us die in the wilderness. And now you would have, now you would lord it over us as well. Indeed, they said, you've not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. You promised us, Moses. You promised us you're going to bring us to a land flowing with milk and honey, but you haven't. Nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out even the eyes of these men? We will not come up. These guys are bad news. They're saying, you you didn't fulfill your promises. You took us from a good place. Now, would, would you blind these men too? Would you hurt them intentionally? Man, these guys have a head problem. We will not come up. Well, then Moses told Korah that he and all of his malcontents, all of his malcontent buddies, would have show up the next morning at the tabernacle. Korah showed up the next day. And there they are, 250 of Israel's leaders. Now, remember, these are the leaders that are supposed to protect the people, serve Moses, They live for the good. A leader lives for the good of others. But they're working now with Korah. And God said to Moses and Aaron, (laughs) get away from them. Uh, Something's coming. Get away from them. I'm going to consume them. Wow. You know what he said? Get away from the bad company. You got bad company in your life? Get away. Remember when the angels came to Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah? What did he say? Get away. Run to the hills. God is going to destroy the city. Get away. Sometimes get away is the best advice that we can receive. But they, Moses and Aaron, they fell on their faces and they said, Oh God, will you destroy all the people? on account of one man? Moses has tremendous humility. You know why he's such a good leader? Because he cares about all the people. So God said to Moses, tell the people to get back and stay away from Korah and stay away from Datham and Abiram. Okay? And they will live. So stay away from these malcontents. And then Korah Datham and Abiram. They came out and they stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their children, 
and their little ones. And then in verse 28, Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. If these men, now he's talking to the people, if these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. In other words, if nothing happens to these men, Quara, Datham, and Abiram, they die a natural death, then I'm not God's man. God didn't send me. But then he said in verse 30, But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, Sheol is the grave. Then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. So Moses is saying, listen, God will decide. God will create something. If I am the leader, God will have the ground opened up and swallow these people. If I'm not the leader, then nothing's going to happen. As he finished speaking in verse 31, all these words, the ground that, that was under them split open. Wow. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their household, and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. Wow. So they and all that went down, they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Wow. And you know what's so sad about that? Not only did the three troublemakers go down, but all their family, everybody that was close to them, suffered because of them. You know why? Because nobody sins to themselves. When we sin, other people are affected. Remember when Jesus told the parable of the guy that built his house on the sand? He said the storm came and the wind blew and the house fell, and great was the fall of it. That means that everybody that lived in the house that was associated with the guy that built it, they all perished too. They all paid the price. Innocent people suffer when the guilty people have their way, when they rebel against God. That's why we have to be so careful. We don't, Paul said it, we don't live to ourselves and we don't die to ourselves. And the more we think about others, the better our lives will be. You know that? They will. Because we should be living as the people of God for the sake of others. Because here's the principle. Bad company corrupts good morals. These three guys corrupted 250 of the leaders of Israel. Got them right out of their role. And they became the rebels of Israel. You see, these people were not real with God. What's the name of the series? It's time to get real with God. They weren't real with God because it was all about themselves. They were real about them. This is what happens when you put your business over God's business. Hey, we've all done it, haven't we? I have it. Sometimes I put my own fleshly desires above God and you know what? You pay the price. Oh yeah. You pay the penalty. We all do. 
They had assigned roles to fill in the kingdom. And they were very high roles. These guys were priests. But when one person becomes disgruntled, that person spreads it to others. And that's what happens. It's contagious. You know, there are certain things in life that are contagious. Laughter is contagious, right? Walk in a room, everybody's laughing. Stop laughing. Complaining is contagious. You walk in a room, everybody's complaining. You stop complaining. Right? Certain things. That's why. Bad company. Bad company will destroy good morals. So who we get around is going to affect, oh, here it comes, who we are. Who we get around will affect who we are. So let's make an application of this story. Number one, don't let your desire for what someone else has make you discontented with what you already have. Hey, this could work at work. Someone has a better job than you. This could work at church. Someone has a better ministry than you. Whatever. Don't let your desire, that's called envy. Don't envy what somebody else has. Be content with what you have. That's number one. Number two, don't try to raise your self-esteem by attacking someone else's. In other words, don't build yourself up by knocking someone else down. That's what these guys did. Moses, who died and made you boss? Who are you? Who put you in charge? We're, we're, we're holy too, just like you are. <laughs> Number three, don't use God's word to support what you want. Rather, allow it to shape your wants. I like that one. Don't use God's word to support what you want. Allow it to shape your wants. Okay? We can use scripture to defend anything. But use scripture to shape you and mold you. Don't let it defend your fleshly desires. Let it shape you and mold you into Christ-likeness. Okay? Number four. Don't expect to find satisfaction in power and position. Because if that's not the place God assigned for you, you'll never be fulfilled. God may very well want to work through you in the position that you're in right now. Right now, you are fitted exactly for how God wants to use you. So do that the best you can. And if God decides, I'm going to move you to something else, maybe something higher, he'll do that. But don't we have to be faithful in the little things before we become rulers in greater things? I always say, if you want to be a good leader, you've got to be a good follower. Learn to follow first, then you'll be a good leader, okay? And then number five, think for yourself, and don't be brought down by the rebellion of others. Remember the crowd that crucified Jesus? What do they say? Crucify him, crucify the whole crowd. I mean, one day they're laying palms down on on the ground so he can walk on them. Hail the Messiah. And then the next day they're crying out, Crucify him. You see how contagious that can be? So now we're going to make a scriptural application. Okay? We just made a practical application. Let's do it scripturally. That's the good part. I'm going to use what Peter said in 1 Peter 4, verse 1. He said, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, 
arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Well, what does that mean? It means, hey, if the suffering comes, accept it. Don't fight it. Moses didn't. What did he do? He went to God. He didn't say, oh yeah, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will (laughs) never hurt me. He didn't do that. He went to God and he fell on his face. He, He put up with what they were saying and went to God for his instructions. Peter then said, listen, he said, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. See, we always want to be refocused back to God's will. What is God's will for my life? No, not not what's God's will for you. Not what's God's will for the other guy. What's God's will for me, for my life? And then Peter said, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. In other words, before you were saved, you pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. See, before you were saved, you got that all out of the way. In all this, they're surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of waste. And they malign you. Peter's saying, listen, see, you're, you're not like those turkeys anymore. You don't run with them anymore. You're a new man. They will give account to him, he said, who was ready to judge the living and the dead. So ask yourself, what will I do from here on in when I find myself in a place that maybe mm, my flesh is telling me I'm not that satisfied or I shouldn't be satisfied? What will I do? Well, what did Moses do? He went to God. Moses let God decide. The people should have let God decide. Instead, they wanted to decide for themselves. You know, all kinds of opposition is going to come into our life. And it's so easy to get in the flesh and fight it. And and show them, you know what? You can't do that to me. And we kind of defend our rights. But like, like he did, go to God. That's all we have to do. Go to God. Join the Hope Club, too. Go to newhoperadio.live. Fill out the program. We'll be waiting for you.